going to preach another sermon to my home church as soon as I say amen here, and I left them the long sermon. I'll give you the short one. How's that? If you got your Bibles, smartphone, apps, whatever you've brought this morning, let's go to Matthew chapter 7, and let me say this while you're turning there. We finally did it. Today, we're wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. It's only been about four months, only four months. <laughs> Uh, We have successfully navigated our way through the greatest sermon ever preached. Because in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus sits down with his followers and he preaches a sermon explaining the way of the kingdom. We started this study with two chairs on each side of the stage. One chair representing this world, our kingdom that is fleeting, and the other repping the better kingdom, the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we must choose which kingdom we are going to bend our knee and pledge our allegiance to. Last week, Jesus declared that there are very few that find God's kingdom. Because the path is narrow. And it's a hard path. But it does lead to a narrow gate that swings open into God's forever kingdom. In fact, Jesus said in that passage that most will choose the wider path that leads to a wider gate that opens to eternal damnation. And since we are born sinners, we are naturally born into a self-centered, sinful, broken kingdom. And the Bible tells us that the only way from the wide path to the narrow path is Jesus Christ. There is not a good enough path, do good enough path. There's not a give enough path. There's not a do enough path. There's only a Jesus path. We must confess Jesus as Lord and actually surrender our lives to his lordship. We must die to ourselves and find life in Christ and declare not my will be done, but the Lord's. So Jesus has spent three chapters teaching us what it looks like to rest, in, to rest our lives in his kingdom. And he starts with our hearts. You remember that all the way back in chapter five? He starts with our hearts and he eventually works his way out to our hands and our feet. But in the very beginning, we said that Jesus wants our worship before he wants our obedience because our worship is focused on the person of Jesus. That's why Jesus spends half of the first chapter, chapter five of his sermon, not telling us what to do, but telling us who to be. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Each characteristic not only telling us who we are to be in the better kingdom, but each characteristic pointing our worship to the better king who perfectly displayed each of these heavenly attitudes. And then once Jesus captures our hearts, he begins preaching to his audience what to do in obedience through 
our hands and feet through our worship. We are to be salt and light. We are to obey God's laws. We are not to be angry and murder with our hearts. We are not to commit adultery by lusting with our eyes. We are not to put away our spouses in divorce. We are to let our yea be yea and our nay be nay. We don't seek revenge. We love and we pray for our enemies. We don't do good deeds or pray fancy prayers for the admiration of others, but we rather we pray and fast quietly in adoration to our heavenly Father. We don't seek earthly treasures but heavenly ones we don't allow your faith to be distracted and be consumed with worry we don't judge one another self-righteously we don't stop praying we do to others as we want them to do to us and then last week there's two paths two gates two eternities don't be deceived by false teachers judge their fruit and don't be deceived by your own false self-professions four months summarized right there Then in light of all of that, Jesus finishes his sermon by answering the now what question. Or at least I believe he does. Sermon's finished, now what? Well, in chapter seven, starting in verse 24, Jesus says this. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Throw the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So the now what question is answered by Jesus, by him saying, now what? Well, you read it again. You listen to my teachings again, and then you do what it says. You do what I tell you to do. Knowledge leads to our worship, but our worship must always lead to obedience. We are not to be hearers only, James says, but to be doers of the word. That's how Jesus finishes his sermon, by giving us a command through a short story. And it's a very similar story at that, just one hugely different outcome. I mean, let's notice the similarities rather quickly. Two similar builders, building two similar homes. Both homes are bombarded by a similar storm. And yet, Jesus says, one man was wise and the other was a fool. So what made the difference? The only difference was the foundation upon which these homes were built. Now, there are some truths that we can pull from this story, one of them being this. Storms are a reality for all of us. We all experience storms, don't we? We experience financial storms, relational storms, health storms, work storms. There's very public storms. There's quiet private storms. There's daily storms. There's seasonal storms. There's pop-up storms. There's fatal storms. None of us in this room are immune from storms. And as bad as every one of those storms can be, and they are bad, aren't they? As bad as every one of those storms can be, they fail in comparison to the storm Jesus ultimately is alluding to here in this story. 
Jesus is reminding his followers, Jesus is reminding his audience that there is a storm coming that no man nor woman will escape. God's final judgment against man's sin is coming. And the only house that will be standing after God's judgment is the house built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point of this story. For Christ is the true rock. He has been from the Old Testament on. In Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Psalm 18, 46, the Lord lives, praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. 1 Samuel 2, 2, no one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Psalm 18, 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, the place of safety. 1 Corinthians 10, and all of them drank the same spiritual, uh, Paul referencing the Old Testament and and the Jewish people, the nation of Israel and the rock, it says they drank from the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.10, because of God's grace to me, Paul says, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we've already, we already have and that is Jesus Christ. Christ. The short and simple story that Jesus gives his audience is nothing more than an invitation to come and to build their lives on him as their rock solid firm foundation. Listen, we know this. Building on sand is easier. Building on sand is cheaper. Building on sand is faster, but eventually building on sand will leave you crashed and burned, it will collapse with a loud crash, Jesus says. Now Jesus likens the house built on sand to a person who listens to his teachings and chooses not to obey them. And he, Jesus' words, not mine, he is a fool. He's foolish. But to those who listen to my teachings and obey them, Jesus says, they are wise You know what I like about that? It doesn't take a lot of money to be wise. Doesn't matter what your last name is. Doesn't matter how much skill you have or how talented you are. According to Jesus, the only thing needed to be wise is obedience. We all can do that. Every single one of us can do that. Doesn't mean that we will. It just means that it takes away all the the excuses of why we can't, because we can. Every one of us in this room can be wise by being obedient to the Lord. If you are in disobedience to God, his word, or his will for your life, it is for no other reason than you choose to be, and I choose to be. The outcome from the storm was determined by the foundation the homes were built on. And Jesus likens the foundations to those who hear the word of God and either obey or disobey. That's it. Those who hear and obey are wise and are like a builder who builds his house on a solid rock. And those who hear and don't obey are foolish and build their house on sinking sand. So here's the big idea. 
if I had to give this, this passage, this text a big idea, it's this. What we do with God's word determines how we react to life's storms. Let me say it a little differently. What we do with what we hear from God's word determines if we stand or if we fall. So quickly, three things necessary for us to be counted wise. Three necessary steps in us building a home that can weather any storm and will weather the final storm of God's judgment. These are good. We need to listen. Number one, we must have knowledge of the rock. We must have knowledge of the rock. We have concluded from scripture that Jesus is the rock and the very first thing he assumes in his story is that his audience is listening to his teachings. There is no obedience without knowledge, right? We must know him before we can obey him. We must know him. We must become familiar with him, who he is, what he has done. This, this, Sunday morning gatherings, this is an environment where we can make that happen on a micro scale, right? We gather here for an hour or so, and we sing about Jesus. We sing about who he is. We sing about what he's done. We have a mic up here that nobody used today. Amy gave an update on her prayer request, which is good. But we have a mic here for us to share together as a family who God is revealing himself to be and what God is doing in our lives We open the scriptures together and we study to know him better. But listen, that's not enough. We also meet at midweek here on Wednesdays, Tuesday this week. We we gather to know him better and to, to know one another better. But come on, that's not enough. Two hours a week, two hours a week out of 168 hours a week is not enough. Every day, we must be growing in our knowledge of Christ. We must be pursuing him, listening to his word, studying his actions. We must know the rock. I want to get off script here. I, I won't. I, I'll just, I think there's too many people in the church trying to explain the way of the rock that doesn't know the rock. Too many people arguing on Facebook about the rock, and they don't have a clue about the rock. And it becomes very evident. I was telling somebody yesterday, I, I, uh, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Number one, we must know the rock. All right. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Anytime I see a post that starts with, I'm a devout Christian, but, usually what's coming next is not very devout Christian-like. They start blabbing about Christ, and it's very evident they know very little about Christ. If you have to tell people you're a devout Christian, you're probably not. Off the soapbox, number two. Number one, we must know the rock. Number two, we must trust the rock. We must trust the rock. Knowledge is not enough. James says even the demons know him. 
Knowledge is not enough. We must trust that he is who he says he is and believe that he did what he says he did. And then we lay ourselves on his foundation. We lay our foundation upon his. This is the confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believing that God raised him from the dead. This is the calling upon the name of the Lord and being saved. This is not choosing to believe Jesus is a good foundation to build up a build upon because he is a good teacher and a way to God, but rather he is the only foundation to build upon. He is God and he is the only way to the Father. Trusting Jesus is putting our full confidence in him as our hope and our strength for every storm and believing that all other ground is sinking sand. How often, church, are we going to have to learn that lesson the hard way? We must know the rock. We must trust the rock. And my third and final point is we must build our lives upon the rock. See, there is the initial trusting Jesus for our salvation, but we must continue to trust in Jesus for our sanctification. This is the building our house. It's not that we just, we believe, we trust that the rock is good. No, no, no. We say, we're taking everything we have and we're putting it all on the rock. We're building only here because it's the only thing worth building on. You see, Jesus is not just a name that we pray to keep us safe during storms. Jesus is the person we build our entire lives upon knowing that even greater storms are coming. And when we do that, when those storms come, when the rain falls and the waters rise and the winds beat against the house, we can rest within the house, knowing our lives are built on a firm foundation. But we must constantly be focused on knowing, trusting, and building upon the rock. That's why I believe every one of us in this room must commit to a life of daily being still before the Lord. Just just getting quiet before the Lord. We must intentionally carve time into our day to be alone with God and read about him and to think on him and to listen to him and to talk with him. Why, Church, why is this so hard for us to be consistent here? Why is this such a hard thing? We have a work schedule and we have to plan our entire lives around a work schedule, right? We, some of you have a pill schedule and you have to plan your meals around your times to take medicine. We have a time for everything else, so why not schedule quiet time with God, a time that we say no to everything else? Hey, would you like to? I can't right now. I got a meeting. You wouldn't skip a meeting with your boss. Why would we skip a meeting with the creator of the universe? 
that holds our lives. And I'm not, hey, I'm preaching to myself here. You've often heard me say, I think the reason why we struggle, this is spiritual warfare, man. The devil knows if we get alone with God and we level up, <laughs> right? He knows if he can isolate us. We need to plan intentional, scheduled time with God, not because we have to, to be saved, but because we need to. Why? Because storms are coming. Storms are coming. And our only hope is our solid footing on Jesus Christ. Let me me tell you, and I'm gonna give you some homework and I'm gonna wrap up. It's a holiday week, you're still getting homework. It's homework for me too. How, how, do we, how do we see this play out in, in our lives? When, when, when a Christian has something devastating happen in their life and they isolate themselves from the church and from God, it's a sign that they were already doing that. The sto- I know, we know this from, the storms are never as big as we think they are when we are living in the presence of God. It's only when we have taken a day or maybe two days or maybe two weeks and we haven't really spent any time just meditating on the truths of who Jesus is, meditating on the the truths of who we are in him and we kind of get distracted and we kind of lose sight and we become more focused on our big problem than our big God. And then the storm comes when we're in that condition and we're not ready because without even perhaps knowing, because we still go to church, we still sing the songs, we still give our tithe, but somehow we've started to, to creep off the solid rock. Not, hey, not positionally, okay? We're not talking about, ah, oh, you know, you had two weeks, you're off the rock, you're going to hell. We're, we're talking about relationally, like, like in fellowship, Right? We kind of we dwell, and we kind of linger, and we kind of get away, and then the storm hits us over here, and we're a little shaky, and we're wavering. But it's only when we are staying focused. That's why gospel community is so important. We talked about this last Wednesday night midweek. This is why it's so important that we're around people that when we're going through the storms, they can continue to point us to Jesus. When you're going through a storm of cancer, health issues, Financial issues, relational issues. You have people here to, that's here to not only to walk with you and to pray with you, but to constantly say, hey, His grace is sufficient. Keep going. Keep going. So let me finish by giving us some homework together. I want us to be intentional this week in making alone time with God a priority. Not family devotion time. This is you and God time. I want you to set some specific times to meet with him daily. And I want you to make that time sacred. Early morning, lunch. Maybe you fast lunch. Maybe it's night. We're not here to tell you when to do it. You figure out when the best time is for you to be alone with your God. And you set that schedule and you stay with it this week. Make it sacred. Say no to other things. 
so you can say yes to your meeting with God. Work everything around that time. Don't compromise. Spend time knowing God through his word and through prayer. Maybe use that time to read through your, your uh, midweek study about what God's teaching us in, in, in that reading. And, but I want you to do, ask two questions as you spend time with God in his word and through prayer. Just, just two questions. Simple questions. What does God want me to know? What does God want me to know about him? Maybe the question should be, what does God want me to know about myself here? But what does God want me to know? God, what do you, get along with God this week and just say, God, what do you want me to know? I'm, I'm reading, I'm studying, what do you want me to know here? What are you wanting to tell me? What are you wanting to show me about you, about me? And then the second question that is just as important as the first. What does God want me to do? Successful, alone time with God always leaves us on a mission. We're not just Bible study people. We're mission people. We're making disciples constantly. Whether that's being discipled ourselves or discipling our family or discipling our coworkers. What does God want me to know and what does God want me to do with what he has just taught me? Worship, obedience. Back to the text, Matthew chapter seven. In verse 28, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. And I wanna stop and I wanna finish our time by praying that we again would be the crowd that is amazed at his teachings. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, our hearts can become too familiar with a holy thing. And when we become too familiar, when we've heard stories over and over, we stop being amazed. So God, I'm praying that you would allow our hearts to be amazed again at your word. That you would allow our minds to be amazed again at your work and what you're doing. God, when we sing songs about who we are, may we, may we stand amazed that you, the creator of the universe, calls us sons and daughters. That you sent your son to be a cornerstone that our lives can be built upon. You did that for us. God, I know how wicked my heart is. God, may I be amazed at your love and your grace towards me. God, may you, may you repurpose my heart to seek and pursue you, to know you, to obey you. God, there are many storms that we face in life, but there is one storm coming. It should scare us to death. The wrath of God against the sins of the world and the only hope we have is the solid rock of Jesus. We don't just plead his name. We rest in his finished work. His perfect life lived where we would not and could not. His death and his glorious resurrection 
Father, we rest in that. We know the only hope we have is in Jesus. May we be counted wise on that last day. Not because of who we were or what we did or our reputations, but because we fully devoted, fully trusted the building of our home on the rock of Jesus. Would you remind us as we leave here, all other ground is sinking. Everything else will leave us empty and wanting. God, you are sufficient. Help our hearts truly believe that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll be here in the morning if you want to celebrate with us. Uh, it'll be a fun time. But everybody have a great rest of your weekend. Be careful shooting fireworks.